Can you all see my head? Or is it in the shadows? Am I in the shadows? Yes, Tim, you've been in the dark quite a while. All right, um, we're going to read a scripture related to uh, our series on the way to Calvary. And um, today's message is healing along the way. And I'm going to read, let me move out of the way so you can maybe see the scripture if it's posted. Out of Luke chapter 13, I've got to catch my breath. Chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Yeah. <laughs> On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, You are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated But the people were delighted with all the things he was doing, all the things Jesus was doing. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that our salvation is free, but there is a cost to our discipleship. That cost requires that we journey with you to the cross. And along the way, we pray that you will enlighten us to opportunities to be gracious, to be merciful toward those along the way. Be merciful to us. Bring healing to us. For we long for you. We need you as our Messiah, our Savior. Thank you for coming. Thank you for meeting us right where we are along the way. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, the Japanese government had a real problem after World War II. Right after the World War II Uh, battle was over and and the war had ended, the Allied forces were able to claim victory. Uh, Germany and Japan finally surrendered. But there was a problem for the Japanese in that there were soldiers that were still hiding out in the South Pacific Islands in caves, in holes. 
And so the emperor decided, I feel for these. We have surrendered and there's peace in the land. I, I want them to be able to live in freedom. And so he made a broadcast over the radio, but not a lot of response. And he even had his voice projected on speakers on the back of pickup trucks and jeeps as they went through the jungle saying, the war is over. There is no more battle. You are free. Get this, after the war was over, 29 years later, the last Japanese soldier finally stepped out of hiding. And they interviewed him and asked him, what, what was it that made you confine yourself, restrict yourself, cut yourself off from freedom? I mean, we've been free for nearly 30 years. And he said, you know, we were so thoroughly brainwashed. We were so taught that if we surrendered in any form or fashion, we'd be tortured or killed by the Americans. And I guess it was fear. I guess it was a disbelief that I could really be free. Well, we're in a series uh, as we journey together along the way to Calvary. On the way to Calvary. And, and we've looked at different things. Uh, last week, one was the encounter Christ had with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. And then before that, we talked about how Jesus resolutely set his sights on Jerusalem. He knew that it was a journey before him, and he counted the cost, and he modeled for us discipleship. And so along the way, we find the story. And our passages are coming from Luke, and in Luke um, in this specific passage, verses 10 through 13, we find that Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and the religious leaders are around him and there is a collected crowd that has gathered and there's a woman present and she's twisted and her body is contorted and, and, and she is in such bad shape in this arthritic condition. She cannot even look up. She is bent over in posture. And, and all, I mean, th think about this. Think about what comes with being bent over. I, I mean, one is it creates a hearing impairment because oftentimes we hear each other uh, at voice level, you might say. And so as you speak, I'm able to hear you and vice versa. But if one is down low, audibly the sound goes over top of her. Also, her voice is projecting down. And so she's not able to be heard, nor is she able to hear real well. Think about the pain. I mean, this makes scoliosis seem mild, that each time, each step she takes, as her body is twisted, there is pain, searing pain rushing through her body through her torso, out into her limbs. She's lived with this for nearly two decades. And think of the, the shame. Religiously, she would be considered an outcast because surely this had to do with the sins of her former life. And so she must be unclean. And so she would be considered on the fringes in the religious community, an outcast unacceptable because oftentimes illness was tied 
bad behavior, sin. Wrongly so. And then, what about what she saw? Her peripheral vision, her immediate vision. She saw the underbelly of the, the village. She saw the livestock and tried to avoid their dung. She saw filthy, dirty feet in sandals. She had to navigate carefully her steps because those Palestinian roads in the village were uneven. Every day, she was reminded of this infirmity, this brokenness of body. You see, the, the word infirmity is all through Scripture in the Old Testament and the New. And categorically, she had this infirmity, this weakness, this human condition, this frailty, this disorder. I want to suggest to you that while some of us contend with human uh, physical infirmity, and we have people in our church that struggle with physical infirmity, uh, being handicapped, physically challenged, I would suggest to you that all of us have some emotional infirmity. All of us have some woundedness. If we're human and if we're in relationships, there is going to be brokenness because we're imperfect people and we're in imperfect relationships and we wound one another. And there are some things that contribute to this emotional infirmity, this weakness this human frailty that we all have in our emotions and in our psyche. And I want to suggest to you that these develop in really three different categories, the, the three M's, if you would. And you have message notes, if you can see those, but we'll have them up here. And, and these are contributors, if you would, to what I call an emotional, or, or, uh, emotional damage uh, and a need for healing of the emotions. And one is, one has to do with memories, childhood memories. What we have discovered is that children are the best recorders. Children are the best vivid recorders. As children, we can remember so much. But the disadvantage for children is that they are the worst interpreters. Uh, while they can see it all happen, and while it is very, very vivid to them in their innocence, they don't have the tools, they're not equipped to step into that and process the dysfunction that often they see. And so if they're the best recorders and the worst interpreters, what often happens is in traumatizing moments, these are recorded. These messages are encoded on one's psyche, one's emotions, which is part of the soul, and it, and it can be indelibly etched in a child's heart and mind. We see this with adults as well as children. We call it PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, where when things are simulated, when the conditions are likened to a moment of trauma, 
that person feels as though they are reliving that moment. And so it is that children can experience the reliving of damaging moments. It, it doesn't have to be anything uh, intentional. Sometimes it can be the memory of a sibling dying and the vividness of that. Or, or maybe... I know one man who was raised in poverty. He rose above that economically, but he never really rose above that psychologically. He always has considered himself poor, and yet he has so much. And so these memories create, if you would, a weakness. We call them infirmity. And sometimes they become a filter by which we hear things, see things, and process things. And I would suggest to you, all of us, to some level, have a weakness emotionally. It doesn't mean that you're damaged goods. It just means you're human. And so one of those may have come about through memories. The other is mistakes. There may have been a transgression or a poor decision, and uh, maybe you've wounded others, you've wounded yourself. There's a broken relationship that has surfaced out of all of this and, and has been a consequence of this, and, and you feel as though you, you can never be forgiven. And you're always living your life as though you're paying penance. You're always trying to, to earn back favor from others and from God. And you never really live in God's grace. And so it could be something related to a mistake you have made. And so you have a couple options. You, you can decide, okay, I've made a mistake and I'm going to, to learn from that. Or you can say, you know, I've made a mistake and, and it's just too hard to overcome that. And, and people have been affected and, and God... I believe God sees me differently, and I'm just going to perpetuate that kind of lifestyle. And that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to be set free. And that freedom comes in forgiveness to where we can receive forgiveness from God, which he freely gives. And we can forgive ourselves. And we can begin to work on those relationships that may be broken. And the other is, maybe, maybe there have been some mottos that you've lived by. Maybe, maybe for you, there has been that moment where you felt, maybe somebody didn't officially tag you with it, but you kind of absorbed a motto. Here's an example. Maybe when your father said to you when you made a mistake, you know, if there's a wrong way to do it, you'll find it every time. That stings, doesn't it? Because that, that kind of, it doesn't speak to what went wrong. It speaks to the personhood. And, and what happens is you think, well, you know, I, I'm a failure. And so you live by the motto, if I'm going to do it wrong, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it wrong. And I'm going to find a way to do it wrong. And so why try to do anything at all if I'm going to fail? Another one is you don't measure up. Here's an example. The child comes home to the parents and he makes all C's. And the parents respond, you know, I believe you can make B's. No, 
nothing wrong with that. So the child goes and the next term comes back with all B's. And the parents look and they say, you know, these are B's, but we think you can get A's. And the kid comes back with all A's and one B. And the parents say, you know, they give easy A's at that school. You just never feel like you measure up. Maybe some of you are living with that motto today. I know one woman who was born outside of marriage. She never knew her father. Small town in the south. And her own birth mother, who raised her, begrudged this daughter and would say things like, I despise the day you were born. I mean, that, that speaks into that life, a lack of purpose. They're the best recorders, the worst interpreters. And so maybe you've lived by a motto that has been damaged and damaging. Well, can you imagine what it was like for this woman to be bent over? And I really believe that for some of us emotionally, that has been the case. For five, ten, for this woman, 18, for us, two decades, maybe we've been bent over since our adolescent years or childhood years, and we've never really able, been able to emotionally look up and spiritually look up. And emotionally, all we've seen is what's wrong with life and what's wrong with people and what's wrong with us. And today, I want to suggest to you that the very unseen presence of Christ is here, and I believe he puts his hand on you and says, woman, you are free. Man, you are free. Stand up. Think about that for a minute. What that must have been for that woman. What did she first do when Jesus said, stand up, and she was set free? For the first time, she could see a group of people. For the first time, she was able to put voices with faces. For the first time, she was able to hear really clearly. And her facial expressions meant something. And so it was that she could find communication through body language and expressions of others. I, I wonder if she ran to her son who came into the world before this infirmity, before this handicap. I wonder if she ran to him best she could. It might have been that she was off balance because she had been so used to facing downward when she moved. But I wonder if she ran and she grabbed her son and pulled him down and kissed him on the forehead. I wonder what that was like. Woman, you're free. What would it be like for us to be free from a debilitating condition, from our own infirmity and weakness, that which has limited us? Maybe you've come into this place today and you've been, been beat up by discouragement, 
Uh, you've been touched by depression. Uh, there's despair in your life. Uh, just human fatigue may have worn you down. and You feel like a failure. There are frustrations and fears that are a part of your life. And, and, and there, are, there are hidden hurts from your past. Wounds, battle scars, emotional garbage. And God wants to restore your soul. Well, there are a couple of things that I believe are hope for healing. If you feel as though you've been physically bent over, and, and some of us, all of us, don't have perfect posture emotionally and spiritually. So really, this is a message for all of us. There are some things that can help. And I want to suggest to you that God uses human wisdom for he imparts wisdom to us through clinicians through counselors some of the most significant times in my life of healing have been in those moments where someone identified a hurt where I could not objectively identify it and they could see the culprit sometimes it was me sometimes it was someone else sometimes it was an act that maybe I did an event that took place Maybe it had nothing to do with ill intentions. It just happened. And they're able to do a diagnosis. And I really believe that all truth is God's truth. And that even in counseling, the Holy Spirit can work in special ways. <laughs> I remember a fellow called me one time and he said, uh, he said, Preacher? That's not always a term of endearment. Preacher, my, our marriage is in trouble. Can I send my wife? <laughs> don't you like that? I said, well, you know, I don't do counseling very well by proxy with the absence of someone. Why don't, why don't you both come? And when we came, we realized that, that there was brokenness from both parties. And there was a need for healing and a need for forgiveness. Now, I'm a general practitioner when it comes to counseling. I'm not always the best because I'm not always real sensitive. I'll say things like, stop it, you know. But, um, but there are specialists who can help. And I want to suggest to you that if you are in deep waters, don't be too prideful. Be willing to say, I need help, and get help. And this church is even in a position to help you financially. If you want counseling, we'll help you with that. That's how committed we are. In fact, a whole ministry, Crossroads Counseling Center, was birthed out of this church. It's part of who we are. The other is special times of prayer. You know, there are those moments. Have you ever had those moments where you just didn't know what to pray? You were so hurt, so broken, so grieved. And the wonderful thing for us is that the Holy Spirit has been imparted to us. Jesus said, I leave with you a counselor. That's actually what the word means. The Holy Spirit, an advocate, who will intercede on your behalf. And so when there is brokenness, when there is an infirmity, when you're willing to admit, hey, I got some stuff here, and I need to deal with this stuff, the Holy Spirit is able to do some things surgically to our emotions that nobody else can do because God knows us better than we know ourselves and he's able to do a great work of healing 
and wholeness and in special times of prayer where we're just honest and we're vulnerable and we say, God, I feel broken and I need you so badly. He comes. In fact, he's already been there. And there are those precious, precious moments where Jesus says, Tim, be healed. James, be healed. Martha, be set free. Kent, stand up and see all that I have for you. God desires to restore us if we will give him permission to help. Matthew 18, 17 says, all of this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our weaknesses. The wonderful thing about the cross is this. Not only has God taken our transgressions and our sins and the times where we've missed the mark. He also takes our infirmities. The scripture says he takes our weakness. He took our weakness, our frailty, our mistakes, the mistakes of others who have marked us. He takes all of that in a millisecond, in a moment of eternity, he embodied all of that and said, it is finished. And when he said it is finished on Calvary, that was a moment for us to hear because that is a moment where we can hear these words as well. You are set free. I've already taken this. I've taken your woundedness. I've taken your brokenness. I've taken your shame. I've taken your guilt. And I have embodied that on the cross. So we don't have to carry that with us anymore. We can hear the words, stand up. The little girl had been given up for adoption. And her adopted parents, adoptive parents, were regular worshipers and they took her to Sunday school and after a couple of weeks of Sunday school, one of the Sunday school teachers noticed something that she would glare off into the distance. But it wasn't the distance. On the far wall was a picture of Jesus on the cross. And the teacher noticed week after week she was a good bit mesmerized, the little girl, by that picture. And as she would look at that picture... There was a sense of peace that overcame her. And, and, and it showed in her countenance. And the Sunday school teacher turned and said, Honey, what is it that you see? And she said, You see that man up there? I don't know his name. But he came off of that wooden thing for me. The night my parents gave me away and he held me and he held me close and he told me that I'm loved. You see, for her, 
Christ was there even before she knew it. The wonderful thing for us in Christ is even in that moment of woundedness, even in that moment of feeling abandoned, even in that moment of somehow feeling rejected, Christ was there. And he's here today. As our worship team comes back up, I want to say to you that the altar is open. And, and if you're willing to be honest, and I want to be honest, that there is brokenness in me. There's infirmity in me. There's a need for continued healing in me. If that's your story, I invite you to allow the Father to place his hands upon you and to hear the words of Jesus. You are free. You can stand up now. You can see what I have for you. The altar is open. If you'd like someone to pray with you, they are here.